grace, mercy, and peace to you from our living Lord Jesus Christ. A story is told of the 16th century reformer Martin Luther going through fits of depression. When you think about the pressures he was under, how the stress would get to him between being a church leader, being a professor, being a pastor, being a father, seeing the discord now in the Reformation among so many churches disagreeing, having the papacy coming after him and threatening him, and going through his own health difficulties with kidney stones. It was during this period in in his life where he would go into depression for days. And at one time, he came home and found his wife was wearing all black. He had come into the house, saw what she was wearing, and asked her, what are you doing? Are you going to a funeral? She said, well, God is dead. And Martin Luther said, well, that's ridiculous. God cannot die. He'll never die. And she said, well, the way you've been caring about around the house, I thought for sure God was dead. And Luther thanked her for the message. And then it said that he carved into his desk the Latin phrase, vivit, which means he lives. The women who came to the tomb on that early first morning at dawn had come to a funeral. They were seeking and expecting to find a dead body that after three days would be decomposing. So they bring the spices and they're going to anoint his body as a way to honor him and honor his death. But have they not heard? Later that day, the disciples are making their way home from Jerusalem after all the events of Jesus' death on Holy Week, and they're heading back to their hometown of Emmaus. And they, too, are mourning and shocked at the loss that they had just seen in those events. They're distraught because they thought he was going to be the one to redeem Israel, but now he's dead. Have they not heard? And later that same evening, the eleven and all the rest are gathered in Jerusalem and they've locked themselves behind closed doors for fear that the same people who killed Jesus were going to come after them. Have they not heard? There is a sense in which our lives go through these times of sadness and we can look around us and wonder, is God dead? In fact, just 300 years after Martin Luther, there was another German who said the same thing. Friedrich Nietzsche said, God is tot, German for God is dead. Nietzsche was a philosopher who lived in the 19th century in Europe. He was an atheist. And he argued in his writings that based on the progress of the modern era and the advancements of science and the Enlightenment, society will soon no longer believe in God. God has lost his power, and science and reason has proved the emptiness of all religion. 
He tells the parable of a madman. In one of his writings, he writes the story of a madman who goes out into the city in the morning. And he says, I have come to light lanterns. And he starts telling about the people of this time that's coming when they will realize God is dead. And he says, God is dead. You have killed him. He said, but my time is too early. They laugh at him because he's a madman. He's talking crazy talk. And these religious people laugh at him. And Nietzsche says his time is too soon. It was based on these ideas that Nietzsche laid the foundation for this belief that there's no God beyond the gods that we create in our minds. And the highest God is simply the truths that we invent, the morality we desire, the values we impose on one another. And Christian ideals of good and evil have no lasting meaning. Only the strongest will survive. The ubermensch, the superman. And we see how Lady Reason took that power and killed God. The results are all around us. Yes, in the 19th century, the madman says, my time has not yet come, but today he's welcomed. His time has come. It's matured. It's unleashed when we saw the horrors of fascism and what Hitler did in Germany based on these very writings and now it's guised under a more devious costume, hidden away in words like love, equality, progress, diversity, and unity. Nietzsche said that we have unchained the sun, which means that all the gravitational forces that once held the universe in place so everything made sense have been unleashed by this new religion there is no gravity that can be proven. There is no up, there is no down, except whatever we make of it. And what has that done to us? How has that affected us as Christians in our resiliency, in our commitment to this message that we're hearing read this morning from Luke 22? Whether we want to admit it or not, the world has influenced us. How many moments do we find ourselves, like Martin Luther, moping around? Do we spend times despairing of the culture, discouraging the lost world, the doomed politics, the lost society? Do we retreat into our churches as if in these walls is a place for us to be kept safe, but out there everything is lost and we give it over to the devil? Or do we live more like the culture around us? Do we embrace it? Do we retreat into other refuges like drugs or alcohol or obsessions? When we step out of these walls on Easter Sunday, what world are we stepping into? Here we confess he lives, he is risen indeed, but out there, is he dead? The messengers are sent to these women and they say, why do you seek the living among the dead? They are perplexed at what they found. The word perplexed in Greek literally means without a way. They don't know what way to go. 
They've come to a dead end in that tomb. And there's nothing for them there other than clues to the real truth. What are they seeking? When we pray, whether we're inside this church or outside, we are seeking a living Jesus. In the parable of a friend, Jesus tells about this friend who knocks on his neighbor's door at midnight. He doesn't have uh, anything in his home to give to this unexpected guest that come to his house late at night in the darkness. He can't help his friend, so he goes next door to his neighbor and knocks on the door, looking for some bread. But he doesn't just knock once with a little tap. It could be that his friend is sleeping very soundly. He raps on the door persistently and loudly, wondering why his friend is not answering. Is God sleeping? To the world, God seems to be asleep or dead. The events that unfold around us on the news every day looks at a world that is seeking God, but they've given up because they've sought him in all the wrong places. It is night now, and people are looking for answers, and they're perplexed, meaning they don't have a way to go. They've come to dead ends, and as a result, they just despair. They give up, they lose hope, and they place their hope in all sorts of other things as if that's going to satisfy them. And we too are caught up on this, knocking on empty tombs. Don't you remember? The messenger says. Don't you remember what he told you? He is not here. You're looking in the wrong place. Don't you remember? What did he tell you? He must die. The son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. <clears throat> and they remembered his words. This is why the world is so perplexed because the God that Nietzsche imagines would never die. He sees only the image of a God that is perfectly strong and would never be shown as weak he would never allow himself to suffer, and he certainly wouldn't allow his people to suffer as well. And that God they've imagined cannot deliver, and so they say God is dead. And we turn to other gods, gods that can improve ourselves or our health, make us live longer, trying to escape the reality of death, gods of reason or relativity, instant gratification. At the time, many thought Nietzsche was a madman for his ideas because he said God is dead. And yet today, in many churches, God is being treated as if he were dead. It's not just out there, it's here too. And it infects us all. In the priorities we, as Americans, as human beings, as Christians, the priorities we place on certain things, the comforts of daily life, the time spent on screens, the addiction to escaping, the obsession with sports, from kids to professional idolatry. The madman has preached in the city square 
Only we don't call him a madman anymore, we call him an expert. Jesus says night will come when no one can work. And night came, and night has come. Where are we? It was in the night that Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And he said, you are the light of the world. We've come to it here. He is not here in the darkness of the tomb. He cannot be seen in those dead bodies of people that we have lost. He is risen. The messengers shine in a dark, empty world. It's a statement that means more than we could possibly imagine or put into words. I recently heard it put this way. The resurrection is the fundamental defining moment of all human existence. All of our understanding of reality rests on this truth. When we say Christ is risen, he is risen indeed. We're not just giving a personal preference. And we're not just giving a private confession of what we believe inside these walls. We are saying what is true here, there, and everywhere. It's a public proclamation of the gospel that doesn't depend on us or what we think or how we feel about this. People can live their life in tombs. God won't stop us from moping around if we're going to from hiding or isolating. But he will keep on sending messengers, trying to awaken your memory, trying to show you signs. He is not here. He has risen. Let me show you how to find him. Ask and keep on asking. Knock and keep on knocking. Seek and keep on seeking. You will find him. Not in an empty tomb, but in the doors of people who believe. In the church and in your homes, in your places of work, in places of suffering, everywhere that you are living, as though this were true, you will find him. Not based on a past fact alone, but a living present truth. We don't say that he had risen. We say he has risen. We don't say that he was alive, we say that he is alive. And he says to you today, I am still alive. A friend of mine, Pastor Wayne Golden, was talking with me over coffee and he was telling me about his recent trip to Haiti. We prayed for him a few weeks ago. He made this mission trip over to Haiti by himself to meet with some of the local pastors, one in particular who is a very influential leader in Haiti. He went over there knowing he was going to be risking his lives because of the violence and most of those local cities are run by gangs. He told me the story about how he traveled through one particular city, Martisan. Bartasan is located on a road from Port-au-Prince out onto the peninsula. It connects the mainland and the lowland in Haiti to the mountainous peninsula in the south. And it's the only road that can get you through in any kind of convenience. There's two other ways to go. 
You could travel through the long, mountainous, rough road that would take you two to three hours. Or you could hire a boat, which would be very expensive to travel around the bay. But the main road goes right through Martesan. No one travels that road. No one goes through that road because of the gangs that run that city. And it's been so severe that they've put out YouTube videos from the gang leaders saying, if anyone travels through this city, they will die. Well, that morning he met with this pastor leader who had to give a conference talk out on the peninsula. He had to make the trip and he tells Pastor Wayne, I'm going through Martisan. And Pastor Wayne says, you're going through Martisan? Yes, I'm going through Martisan. And he tells him that when he gets to the conference, he needs to be able to tell the Christians there not to be afraid. And he says that it begins with him traveling through that dangerous city. So Pastor Wayne thinks about it and says, I'm going with you. Whether or not his wife would approve, he says, I'm going with you. I'm going with you because I'm going to ride along and pray while we travel. And sure enough, the next day, got into the car, drove through the city in the middle of the day, said it was like a ghost town. He said that the pastor had called ahead and was able to make contact with that leader, and they granted them safe passage. When Wien was with me and he was drinking his coffee, I said, you're still alive. And he said, I'm still alive. Jesus has a message for all the world, including Marta's son. And it's that he is still alive. He has faced even worse enemies, even worse threats. He knew when he went to Jerusalem, the message was clear. They were going to kill him. He headed right into the violence, right into that ghost town filled with the ghosts that haunt all of us. And they turned on him. Jesus knew he had to show us that he would not be afraid of death. And he would face it head on. And he would go right on through it and come out on the other side and say, I am still alive. The resurrection is our everlasting hope. It's not just a hope of heaven, but it's a hope of where we take our feet every day to live our lives in hope. It sets the perplexity into a straight path. It casts out that uncertain way and shows us the way to go. No matter the circumstances, in a world that is filled with uncertainty and trouble, across the seas, from the poverty in Haiti, to our own national and political distrust and discord, to the lost communities that are right around the corner from us, the shootings and the violence, and in our own selves, our own trials of our heart and our mind, this is true. We don't give in to those lies. We don't walk out of those doors and think that it's any different than what we are saying inside these doors. Jesus says, I am still alive. And so, 
now the world, as it welcomes Nietzsche, has turned to us as Christians and says that we are the madman. But this is all the more the reason that this message is so convincing, because we are lighting lamps in the morning now. We are the ones saying, there is something you don't know. Pastor Wayne said that the plan for Haiti is to go back later on in the fall, and him and other churches there are going to have a 72-hour vigil where they're going to pray. And during those 72 hours, they're going to, he's going to be leading them through ways to pray specifically for those gangs and for the leaders in those places. And to pray for 72 hours that the Lord would convert just one of those men to make a difference. This is the power of the resurrection that would be willing to go into the worst of places and say to people that seem the most hopeless and lost, I am still alive. Jesus is still alive. And he is Lord of all. Amen.